Today's episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. Right now, you can find my book, Virtuous Persuasion, A Theology of Christian Mission, as well as get a listener discount on Logos by visiting logos.com slash mniebauer. That's logos.com slash mniebauer. What are the specific actions that constitute trespasses? Are they simply the bad things we have done, or are they broader, encompassing our thoughts, words, and deeds? When we ask God to forgive our trespasses, how can we be certain that he will indeed forgive them? Welcome to This We Believe, a podcast where we explain the essential texts of the Christian faith. My name is Dr. Michael Niebauer. After asking God to give us our daily bread, the Lord's Prayer continues with a request to forgive our sins, which are called debts or trespasses depending on the translation. The purpose of this invocation is twofold. First, it is a call to acknowledge before God our sins, all of the ways we've put ourselves above God and above others. And second, it is a call to receive forgiveness from God for, for our sins through the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ on the cross. So first, This statement is a request that we acknowledge our sins before God. Forgiveness is not possible unless we are people who admit that we need to be forgiven. As we see in the New Testament, the people most resistant to Jesus, the Pharisees, are also those people who refuse to believe that they have sinned in any way. And so we acknowledge and confess our sins seeking forgiveness so that our hearts would not be hardened as theirs. What specific trespasses should we confess? Christians believe that sin is not just actions, but a disposition of the heart, a proclivity to turn against God that pervades even our DNA. So when we seek forgiveness, we need to cast a wide net. We are called to confess not only our actions, but also our wayward words and our thoughtless thoughts. As we discovered in our previous series, The Ten Commandments can function as a kind of sin diagnostic, helping to unearth the ways we have sinned through act, word, and thought. And so we can begin our confession by examining our actions. What ways do we actively harm God and harm others? In the Ten Commandments, we see that idolatry is a principal trespass against God. It is the act of worship of created things. Murder and adultery are obvious sinful actions, but as we've discovered, the Bible gives a broad definition of these terms. Murder encompasses all harmful actions against others, all attempts to diminish the personhood of another, whether through abuse or neglect. Similarly, adultery encompasses all acts of sexual unfaithfulness, including sexual harassment or the viewing of pornography. In effect, any action that is the assertion of ourselves above God and above others, calls for our repentance. In addition to confessing our actions, we also confess our words, our sins of speech. 
all of the words we utter that are offensive to God and harmful to others. We see this in the Ten Commandments with the prohibition against using God's name in vain and in bearing false witness. We sin when we use God's name for our own vanity, to glorify ourselves and not God. We sin when we use our words to misrepresent someone else for our own benefit. Finally, we confess even our thoughts. We examine before God the words and pictures that race through our mind and ask whether they are honoring of God and loving of others. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus extends the Ten Commandments to encompass our hearts and our minds. Are our hearts filled with lust, hatred, and despair? Or are they filled with love, hope, and the worship and praise of God? While our confession should include thoughts, words, and deeds, it should also encompass both passive and active sins. We are called to confess not only the things we have done, but also the things we have left undone. The different translations of the Our Father clue us into this, as sins are referred to as either trespasses or debts. We can think of our trespasses as active sin, and our debts as passive sin. Our trespasses are all of the ways we actively violate God's commands and actively harm others. When I trespass on someone else's property, I am entering into territory that is not my own, and doing so against the wishes of the landowner. When we actively sin, we encroach on the physical or emotional space of others against their wishes. In fact, the first sin in the Bible involves a literal trespass against God. God marked the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as his own, telling Adam and Eve that he would inform them of the proper time when they could eat of its fruit. But Adam and Eve crossed the line, entering into prohibited space and violating God's good and perfect will. And so our trespasses can be seen as the act of ways we put ourselves above God and others. Now we can better understand our passive sins when we think of them as debts, actions that we should have done but failed to perform. A debt is an obligation to another person that requires repayment through an active response. If I borrow money from a bank, I now have a debt to that bank. If I fail to repay that debt, I have in effect stolen money from that institution. We can also incur interpersonal debts when we refuse to respond lovingly to those around us. If a friend helps me out of a jam and I refuse to help them when they are in need, I am incurring a debt. In many ways, the axiom, treat others as you would like to be treated, gets at this. But Jesus presses this point even further as he calls us to love others as God loves us. This means that we should actively love those around us, even when they have not loved us. The parable of the Good Samaritan is the story of a man who spends time, money, and energy to care for a complete stranger. Out of the immense love God has showed us, we are called to love others without expectation of return. And when we fail to do this, we incur a kind of interpersonal debt. We also incur a debt when we fail to respond to God's goodness with praise and thanksgiving. God has given us the gift of life and has sustained us and given us every good thing we have. Our response should be to worship God alone, as the first commandment states. 
If we fail to respond in this way, we are like a child who is showered with gifts on Christmas, only to respond with complaints and demands for more gifts. We are all designed for worship, designed to respond to the immense goodness God has showed us with constant praise and thanksgiving. When we refuse to do so, we are in effect taking God for granted. Through our passivity, we are incurring a debt, and we must turn to God and seek out forgiveness. Fortunately for Christians, God responds to this request by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The Our Father invites us to acknowledge that we have sinned and to acknowledge the range and depth of our sins. Fortunately, when Christians ask for their trespasses to be forgiven, they do so with the confidence that Jesus has taken upon himself the entirety of sin and put it to death on the cross. When reading the story of Jesus' passion in scripture, one is struck by both the range of persons who line up to condemn him to death, as well as the various ways those persons reject Jesus. We see in Jesus' passion the entire known world rise up to reject Jesus. Religious leaders, politicians, poor people, blue-collar soldiers, and even close friends. This is meant to tell us that everyone has sinned, and everyone is a sinner, including ourselves. Furthermore, we see in the passion that Jesus takes upon himself sin in all of its brutal and terrible forms. He is betrayed by Judas, arrested by jealous Pharisees, sentenced to death by the cowardly Pontius Pilate, denied by a fearful Peter, mocked and abused by soldiers. We are invited in this story to see our own sin in all of its wicked forms. When we are jealous or envious, we stand with the Pharisees in condemning Jesus. Every time we fail to intercede in the face of injustice, we stand with Pontius Pilate. Every time we are embarrassed to be a Christian, we stand with Peter. This is the terrible reality of the cross. But the beauty of the cross is that Jesus took all of these sins upon himself and put them to death for our sake. He swallowed up the pain, misery, and brokenness of the world so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God. Because Jesus is fully human, he is able to absorb human sin and its effects. And because Jesus is fully God, he is able to absorb the entirety of this sin. Furthermore, Because Jesus is God and God is outside and above time, the cross is an event that at once took place 2,000 years ago and an event that has taken place outside of time. Jesus has forgiven past, present, and future sins on the cross. One of the last things uttered by Jesus on the cross is this, it is finished. For those who profess Jesus as Lord and God, there is now a finality to forgiveness. Christians don't have to be anxious about their past sin if they confess it. When we utter these words, forgive us our trespasses, we can have confidence that our trespasses are indeed forgiven, and we can have confidence that Jesus stands ready to forgive us each and every time we recite the Our Father. How should we respond to the enormous mercy and love showed to us on the cross? We should respond in kind by loving those around us and extending mercy to those who have offended us. And so the Our Father continues with an exhortation for Christians 
to forgive those who have trespassed against us, which we will examine next time. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on This We Believe. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd ask that you tell one other friend about us. You can reach us on our Facebook page at This We Believe Podcast, Twitter at we underscore believe underscore pod, or email at thisweBelievePodcast at gmail.com. Take care and God.